I love that gospel passage. It's one of my very favorites. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, who came to Jesus by night. Yes, I like to think Nicodemus is the patron saint of seekers, or better still, the patron saint of moths. Why? Because like moths, he was drawn irresistibly and attracted to Jesus, the light of the world, drawn through the darkness of the night like moths. Drawn to the light of Jesus, the light of the world, through the darkness of the night. Drawn to the fire of love like moths to the light of flame of a candle through the darkness. Nicodemus, as a matter of fact, is mentioned three times in John's Gospel. He's mentioned here right at the beginning. Here he comes to Jesus and he calls him teacher. Perhaps how I first began to understand Jesus. That's how a lot of people understand Jesus today. They're not fully churchgoers, but they see that Jesus is one of the great teachers of the world. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. What did he come for? He'd only come for the beer. He'd only come for a religious discussion. Ah, that's all he came for, but let's see what happens. Second time, he stands up for Jesus and defends him in the, in the council of the Jews of which he was a member. By this time, he's a more open-minded man, you might say, with lots of question marks in those places where he used to be quite dogmatic. That's a sign of maturity, if anything is. The third time, along with Joseph of Arimathea, traditionally Jesus' uncle, you remember, who was supposed to have come to those tin mines in Cornwall, but of course he didn't, but never mind, Along with Joseph of Arimathea, we find him in John's Gospel preparing the earthly body of Jesus for burial. So clearly this Nicodemus, the patron saint of seekers, is on the road of seeking. But it all began that night with Jesus. As I said, he only came for a religious discussion with an intellectual discussion with an intellectual person who he regarded as a supreme teacher. But as C.S. Lewis discovered to his cost, in the end, dear friends, apologetics, however important they are, don't quite crack the nut. They don't quite make you a disciple of Jesus. They answer a lot of questions, and that's very important. But they raise as many questions as they answer, and that's very important as well. Augustine says, credo ut intelligam. I believe in order that I may go on and understand. I believe and trust in a person before I go on to begin to understand them. I've often quoted that wife who said of her husband, I love him to death, but I think I'll never understand him. It's a bit the same with God, actually, I suppose. Love him to death, yeah. But don't try and understand him for God's sake. If I had waited to understand Christianity, I wouldn't be standing in front of you today. And you probably wouldn't be sitting there either. So on that first meeting, Jesus bowls a googly. Verily, verily, I'm telling you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus's reply is, of course, absolutely logical. How on earth can this be? How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? No, of course he can't, logically. But just let's suppose there's another way of looking at this world. Suppose, like C.S. Lewis says, this is only the Shadowlands. This is only the entrance hall into the great, great mansion with its many rooms beyond, in the light, throwing the shadows back to us. Yes, then it could perhaps be conceived, this world, as a womb, as a womb for those who are being formed and transformed in order that they may be delivered like a midwife does, delivered into the greater world of the kingdom of God, the life of the Spirit. Is that what our baptism was all about? Yes, it is. Except a man be born of water and the Spirit. Ah. So in our baptism, we were entering, if you like, a second time into Mother Church's womb, the font, in order to be delivered from the world of self-centeredness into the greater world beyond, the world of the Spirit, into God-centeredness, that eternal abundant life for which we were first created. But still, old Nicodemus doesn't get it. But it's enough. He's hooked. He's hooked. And after all, that's what Jesus said we clergy are supposed to be. Pretty good fishermen. Fly fishing at that. Knowing what the right bait is, if you're a fly fisher. Different bait for a different catch. And that's what the church has got to do today as it tries to present Jesus to this great city. I'm told, though I'm not a fly fisher myself, I'm told that there is a very special bait which is called a fuzzy booger. And it's especially for certain fish if you want to catch them. I wonder if Jesus used a fuzzy booger to catch old Nicodemus. Maybe he did. Because the important thing is that he didn't slip down that road of endless discussion, the paralysis of analysis. He hooked him. So that night was more than a religious discussion. It was an encounter and an experience which later down the road might begin to believe, to begin to be a few explanations. So, yes, indeed, he realized as he left that night that Jesus was more than just a teacher and a rabbi. He's on the road to faith. He's on the royal highway. He's got a long way to go, this Nicodemus. But it's a kickstart, a kickstart to a life of faith, like falling erotically in love is to the future of marriage. So, encounter and experience before explanation. I believe, yes, in order to understand. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. As C.S. Lewis says, act as though the Christian faith is true. Begin to be, live as though it's true and you'll discover eventually that it is true.
And by way of finishing, all that gobbledygook in the opening prayer today, <laughs> three in one and one in three, the blessed trinity. Dear Lord, what on earth is all that about? Well, don't go at it logically. Don't try and do a mathematics, how can three be one and one be three? No. Do what St. Augustine again suggests. You see, I keep going back to him. What St. Augustine suggests in his De Trinitate, his great volume on the Trinity, he says, all love, like jokes, is Trinitarian. All those jokes we tell, they're all Trinitarian. An Englishman, a Scotsman, an Irishman. Why do they have to be three? I don't know. A rabbi, an imam, and an archbishop. Why? Well, Augustine says, God is love. That's nonsense. You can't say Michael and Marshall is love. You might say he's lovely, <laughs> or loving, <laughs> or lovable. But you can't say you are love unless you imply the lover, the beloved, who are in love, which is bigger than both of them put together. And again, that's an experience. You can't understand love, you can't rationalize it, you can't logically approach it, you can only encounter it, if you're lucky, experience it, and then, as the years go by, you might begin to explain it. So we experience God who is love as at least Trinitarian. God, the lover, the beloved, within love. Yes. So Nicodemus, yes, if you read on in John's Gospel, had a pretty good track record. But by the end of the Gospel, his discipleship is still a work in progress. That's true of my faith, I hope. I hope it's true of yours. Doesn't matter quite where you begin, as long as you keep traveling and walking and coming back and back and back again to this Jesus. At first by night, and then as you are more and more enlightened, finally into his presence. And when you're in his presence, there's only one thing to do, to pray, to worship, and to adore. So, with you and me, one more step along the road I go, like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, walking with Jesus in daily life, at work or at play, talking with Jesus at work or at play, and then the encounter. And that's what we're going to do now. We've had the word, like Jesus opened the word of the Bible on that road to Emmaus. And now we're going to break bread like Jesus did on that road to Emmaus. And in that moment, they suddenly saw him for who he was. They recognized him. So let that be our experience, our encounter today, now. Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus.